Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Liam Martin and his little one with me for Stella our interview. Martin. Yes, hey, this Stella. is Stella Martin. I, I think it's more fun if you interview her as opposed to me, I think, <laughs> because she knows her name is Stella, and she likes cookies, and she's happy. Right? <laughs> and she really wants to get the microphone. Oh, um, that's so fun. And, and, and this is my wife uh, behind me. Uh, Hi, nice sorry, to meet go, you. Go back to, <laughs> go back to your introduction. I don't want to. I don't want to disrupt uh, your beautiful introduction that you were just about to make. I'm. I'm. I think this is my favorite introduction ever. Thank you so much. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so Liam is with the Time Doctor, and mm -hmm. Liam, I usually just let you go ahead and take it away. Why don't you tell us about who you are, what you do, who you serve? Sure. So. Uh, mission statement of the company generally, and my personal mission statement is trying to empower the world's transition towards remote work. So inside of that, we have a bunch of different products and services that we offer. Time Doctor and Staff.com, which are both time tracking tools for remote teams, and then uh, Running Remote, which is the largest conference on remote work. I've been running that for about five years, and we bring together billion dollar plus remote first companies that are really excited about building remotely in a premeditated way, as opposed to the emergency way that you've probably seen remote work happen over the last two and a half years. Absolutely. So you've been doing this for a while. Yes, I've been working remotely for almost 20 years. Uh, I started back in 2007 with my very first remote business and uh, never turned away after that. I think remote is the best. We have team members in 43 different countries all over the world. We have never had an office. We will never have an office. And uh, we think that it's the best way to work. I started working remotely as an employee in 2008. Uh, but that was from the perspective of someone who had to clock in and clock out. You know, my I had to clock in and out for my, my lunch breaks and um, I had to adhere to a specific schedule. And it sounds like your time doctor um, program, how do you say it? Software uh, helps software, people. Yeah helps people have a little bit more freedom and still document their time? Yeah, I think it's um, effectively Fitbit for work. So it analyzes all of the different variables connected to the output that you produce and then can provide you actionable insights into what you can do to be able to improve your time. And a lot of that is actually very counterintuitive. So as an example, the average amount of work that someone can get done throughout the day is about four and a half hours of work. Mm -hmm. Basically, every hour after that, there's a significant diminishing in returns. Okay. So when we've used our technology and we have the largest second-by-second -second work database on the planet, so we can analyze all of these work trends en masse, we've found that generally you should basically stop working after about four and a half hours a day. But still pay people appropriately? Yeah, pay them a salary. Yeah. Like they're producing. So if you have someone work nine hours per day and four and a half hours per day, they'll generally produce exactly the same output. So I came from, uh, this is going way, way back in the late eighties and nineties, I was a homeschooled kid. Mm -hmm. um, so that was before homeschooling was really popular or uh, <laughs> desirable, I guess. Uh, but we, we found the same thing. Like, you know, a lot of kids go to the school for seven hours, sometimes eight a day. And uh, they say that pretty much they're getting about two and a half hours of active learning time, more sure. or less. And so with homeschooling, we were able to get her done in a few hours. You know, sometimes I'd spend four hours a day, but 
was I watching TV in my bedroom most of that time? Yeah. Um, so yeah, probably about two and a half hours of, you know, active learning time, you know, regardless. Um, right. and then I just had more freedom because, you know, when I turned 16, I could go on a ski trip. Um, and you know, I just work ahead and get it over with and, and have a few days off for a long weekend, uh, more often. So I, I guess I'm seeing a lot of the same trends with homeschooling and that freedom and flexibility that you can have there in the remote work world as well. Hmm. Yeah, no, that I've never looked at it from that perspective, but um, you're absolutely right. I think that when you look at <clears throat> remote work for running remote, which is the conference that we run on remote work, we talk about how we want to empower everyone to be able to work wherever they want, whenever they want. So as long as they actually do the work, <clears throat> it make sure that you can accomplish that work in as easy or as meaningful a way as you possibly can. And let's just throw out effectively the rule book from the last 250 years post-industrial revolution uh, work trends, because the vast majority of those are not actually looked at through an academic lens. They're looked at through MBAs, right? They're looked at through business managers who are not really using the same um, scientific rigor that someone like me, as an example, looked at uh, looking at the data because I can just see the data set in front of me and say, wow, yeah, you probably shouldn't be working 18 hours a day. Um, it's probably gonna end up killing you. I, I don't know if you know the term, um, it's a Japanese term out of, uh, it's used for, it was very popular during the 90s and the 2000s and it's uh, karoshi. You know that word in Japanese? I, you're going to have to help me out. It basically translates to uh, death by overwork. Mm -hmm. And it's a major trend in Japan. Um, uh, someone dies of Kiroshi. I think there were about 2000 deaths last year. So it's, oh, a, no. it's definitely, and it's due to young people having strokes or massive heart attacks. So it's not suicide. It's literally like a physical. No, it's death by overwork. Oh <clears throat> yeah. Because the, the market there and the, and the culture is that you should stay in the office longer than anyone else. Yeah. And that's your definition of value. Yeah. When in reality, actually I've discovered with time doctor that the reverse is true. Um, generally the people that leave earlier, have actually ended up getting more done than the people that have stayed later. And the people that stayed later are actually probably having, at least in the United States, having a lot of difficulty actually trying to figure out how to do their work. So they do a lot of things around work without actually doing the work. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a big issue that I think if we could just kind of get over ourselves about looking at the time and instead mm -hmm. looking at what time produces, what output is produced inside of that time, I think we'd have a much better idea of how to be more productive. It's very old school mindset as far as like, you know, that micromanaging, I need to see your, you know, butts and seats and, you know, I need to see that you are working. Uh, it's like, it reminds me of the old movie, The Office. No, yeah, Office, right? Office space, office, office space, where he's just playing games and like just sitting there doing nothing for, for literally, you know, eight hours a day. Yeah, well, I think the other thing too is when you look at the way that work is done, um, so I would argue about 20% of someone's workday is doing work. The other 60% is doing things around work. So it's driving to work, right? If you're at an on-premise company, it is um, doing meetings with people of which 
maybe you add five minutes into a 90 minute meeting. It is doing all of the bureaucracy around work, right? Like sending emails as an example, how much actual work done, do, do, how much actual work do you get done when you spend 90 minutes going through all your email queue? Maybe there's only like 10 minutes of real actionable information that you need to either consume or transmit during that 90 minute period. The other 90 minutes are, you know, people sending you spam mail and all that kind of stuff that you just got to get out of your inbox. Um, that's why for me, as an example, I have someone that just answers all of those messages for me on my behalf and then yeah. only sends me the ones that I really need to look at. I have a question about that. Sure. When they are sending those messages on your behalf, are they identifying themselves as you or themselves? No, they have a different signature. Um, so it would be uh, Liam Martin's assistant. Okay, perfect. Yeah, there's a really cool tool inside of Gmail, uh, inside of Google Apps for Business, which is basically Gmail, that allows you to delegate email to someone else so that they can get access to your email without actually give you giving them the password nice. to your email account. And then it has a different signature and all that kind of stuff. And it's mm -hmm. quite easy um, buying back that time is so valuable for someone like me that my job is is effectively right now to be able to talk to a whole bunch of people on podcasts we talked about this right before i jumped on the call mm -hmm. and i'm doing about 20 podcasts per week on top of my regular workload which is actually probably more than i would like i'm at about 45 hours 50 hours per week in terms of a work week but i also work on saturdays and sundays mm -hmm. um, because i like my work as opposed to other people that see work as a difficulty. I love the term um, work hard. Everyone's like, oh, you should work hard. Well, what if you work with like joy or happiness? Um, <laughs> like yes. if you just reverse it over, it's like, man, I, I love to be able to talk to people like you every single day. This is a fantastic part of my job. And why would I not want to do more of it? Um, I really enjoy it. Yeah. And so I think that it's this, this philosophy of just kind of looking at work as dark, dreary, difficult activity, as opposed to engaging it with happiness and joy and, you know, contentment, um, which is I the way that this. I look at my work. So, but you enjoy the talking part. So not everyone would feel like spending, you know, their time 20 podcasts a week. You do you. Great. Yeah. yeah. If, if you don't want to do podcasts, go do something else. I ask people every single time um, they come and join the team. I say, what do you work on at two o'clock in the morning? What do you read at two o'clock in the morning? And I read, um, you know, marketing blog posts mm -hmm. as an example. I'm very, very passionate about marketing. Oh, well, that's what you should do. Do marketing. Yeah. Don't do finance. Don't lose IRS checks. Uh, don't, you know, don't deal with bankers. Don't deal with operations. Yeah. Do what brings you joy and happiness because you're going to want to do that job way more than the job that you don't want to do. So delegate what you don't want to do and focus on what you're really good at. A lot of people talk about how it's like, oh, well, you know, this aspect of the position, you really need to get good at it. Do you really? Maybe you shouldn't. Uh, maybe you should do something different. And I think that that's, again, just me looking at work and I have a unique situation in which I can see hundreds of thousands of people working every single day and look at that data and see how it, you know, correlates and interacts. So I have a much more, um, 
I guess, open philosophy towards work than a lot of other people. I would love to be paid to just talk to people every day. That would be my favorite thing. If I if I could uh, interview people as a you know podcast host or just mm-hmm. interview people just to get information, just to learn more about them, I would do that for fun. And like you're saying, the two o'clock in the morning thing, my kids are like, mom, why don't you play video games with us? And I'm like, I, I like researching things. I like learning. And that is fun. Like it's like as fun as a video game is to you. It is for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, well, if you want to, if that's what you want to do, then you have to put the time in to get good at it. I, I wouldn't necessarily say there isn't so, so, you know, you have to get bad at something before you can get good at it. Right. Um, at least with me doing podcast interviews, knocking out 20 a week, you do that for f- three months and all of a sudden you can communicate. It just flows. Much better, much more effectively than you could when it was, uh, you know, six months ago and, and I felt very awkward. I'm a very introverted individual, a bit of a wallflower uh, when it comes to, you know, large scale conversations with charismatic individuals, um, that's not really my forte, but I got better at it. And I think the other part of at least this type of work is the joy that I get out of it is being able to kind of get an insight into other people. If you pay attention to other people, they're actually incredibly interesting. Oh, yeah. And if you ever think that anyone is boring, it's usually you that's boring. Um, that's my other big thing that I've come, kind of come back with. It's like, you're not actually paying attention closely enough. You need to really figure out, okay, well, oh, your children really like video games. What kind of video games do they play? When did they start doing that? You know, you could go down that rabbit hole and get to some really interesting insights about that person. And then also by extension yourself. So you have referred to a few different things and I want to kind of go back into it. You've talked a little bit about your role with your company. Um, and before we started recording, you were talking about inhabiting a position. Can you talk about that for a minute. What position do you inhabit right now for Time Doctor? I'm currently the CMO of Time Doctor. Uh, I'm also the co-founder and visionary of the Running Remote Conference. And then I'm also the author of the book that I've been doing for the past two years. So those are three separate positions. And then I also inhabit the role of uh, father, but that one I actually do own. Um, That is mine as opposed to inhabiting a position. So inside of Remote First Companies, one of the biggest insights that I've found is They don't own positions, they inhabit positions. So what do I mean by that? Um, There's a company called GitLab, which is one of the largest remote first companies in the world. They have thousands of employees. And I was interviewing Job Vanderwood, who is uh, a man that built another company called remote.com. He was the third employee at GitLab and ended up moving to remote. And he left the position, his position at GitLab for six months because his wife uh, had, they had a, uh, they had a, a, um, an early birth. So I think the, the child was like two months early or something like that. So he had to go and take care of his wife and his, and his baby. So he came back to work and no one missed him. No one knew he had left. Really? How beautiful of a system is that? Um, So the day that he left, he has a document that we actually do as well. When you join a company, when you join our company within the first three months, you have to put, you have to write out a document, which is how to do my job. It's about five pages, can link out to other resources. 
but fundamentally it's five pages, short document. Here is everything that you need to be able to do my job. And then we test it. Uh, so we actually get someone else from another department to be able to read that document and come back with critiques and perspectives on whether or not they could actually take over this person's job if they wanted mm -hmm. to, whether or not they're actually qualified for the position. Could they theoretically do it? Right. And if you can do that, then great. You've actually given up your sacred knowledge inside of an organization. That, that thing that you think is keeping you employed, but in reality, actually what it's doing is it's holding you back from actually solving bigger problems inside of the company. Uh, there's a woman that I spoke to in preparation for the book. She ran payroll in a bank vault every single day for a very large law firm. So they literally locked her in a vault every day to be able to do payroll. And she was so scared about COVID and going remote because they didn't think there was any way that they could get her out of this bank vault. And she wanted to leave because she didn't want to get locked in every single day. But anyways, when, when, when COVID happened, she had to work remotely. So she had to do run payroll remotely. And then when they brought her back, they said, hey, we have no more need for you. Um, COVID was a, a way for us to be able to innovate and adapt. And we've recognized now that we don't need to do payroll the way that you're currently doing payroll. However, um, she did give away that information at the beginning of this process. And now she's working in a completely different position and she's much happier. Okay. So it wasn't bad. <laughs> no. So I think that a lot of people see that sacred knowledge as the thing that keeps them, keeps job security. Yeah. You know, with them. But in reality, actually, this just holds you back from achieving bigger and better things in your work. And and whether that's actually in the current company that you're in or somewhere else, <laughs> like it's just, you know, the, the ability to be able to kind of like hold the company um, at gunpoint for certain aspects of the business is incredibly detrimental towards yeah. the overall success of the organization. And if you really are excited about the mission of the company, which is another big thing that remote first companies are really big on. If you're committed to that mission, then you should try to do everything that you can possibly can to be able to accelerate that company's success. I want to hear a little bit more about some of this research you've been doing uh, for your book. And it sounds like you've, you've kind of had your fingers in a lot of different parts of the remote world um, and know a lot of people. So uh, you, how many hours did you say, or how many uh, people did you say you've you've um, been able to oh. monitor or? Uh, oh, we do hundreds of thousands of people on on Time Doctor, but then I interviewed um, well uh, two dozen companies for the Running Remote book, and it was analyzing what remote first companies did before the pandemic versus the pandemic panicker remote companies, the companies that were kind of like remote at gunpoint. Um, and they use this term work from home, which I actually really, and I know it's like the, the title of your, of your podcast, uh, but, I what you will. <laughs> but I love that term actually, because we never used it before the pandemic, um, at least in the remote work world. That was something that the media really came up with. And I like it because we moved from working from an office to working from home, but neither of those things are remote work. Mm -hmm. So those are both places. 
Mm-hmm. Remote work is where you get to take your work with you, whether mm-hmm. you work from home or an office, a co-working space, a coffee shop, whether you work from a beach in Bali, by the way, don't do that. You get a lot of sand in your laptop. <laughs> it's not super valuable. Do you uh, speak from experience? <laughs> yes. I've, well, you had to do it once, right? To be able to say you check the box and you've worked from a beach somewhere. Um, but yeah, so like it's the freedom and flexibility to be able to work wherever you want, whenever you want. And so the one thing that all of these companies did differently and continue to do differently from almost every other company that I've looked at that went remote during the pandemic is one singular thing. And that thing I call asynchronous management. So it's the ability to be able to build a business without actually talking to anybody inside of that company synchronously. So no video calls, Um, no in-person meetings or as few as humanly possible to be able to optimize everyone towards deep work. My buddy Cal Newport wrote this book called Deep Work, which is really the philosophical framework for asynchronous management. And it's effectively providing every individual everything that they need at their disposal to be able to solve a very difficult problem. So remote companies do that very, very well if they implement asynchronous work. I'll give you a case in point, Vaishali, who's the PR manager that works with me and connected us for this podcast. Uh, She's worked for me for six years. We work every day together and I have met her in person or on Zoom five times. And that's it. She has the autonomy to be able to do the work that she wants to do. She finds what we're doing very exciting. She's connected to the mission and she can book these meetings for me. And then in exchange, I can do these meetings. Um, So we both have autonomy in what we are currently trying to achieve, but we're both trying to actually target the same goal, which is uh, 500 podcasts done before the book launches. Okay. That's exciting. Um, She, so she, how do you generally communicate? Because you, you kind of said that you have someone else that helps you with your emails Mm-hmm. Um, do you do a thing where like you're on Slack or some IM chat text thing um, so we have, where you're like back and forth or not really? Yeah, we have Slack. However, we have a no notification rule on Slack. So no one can, we actually build it like that out of the box. So there is no notification capabilities um, for our version of Slack. So you actually have to actively click on it to be able to interact with it. And we process it just like we would process email. So I usually process Slack around noon. Uh, I get from nine to 12, I get difficult things done throughout my day, which is what are the top, and at the end of the previous day, I write down what those things are, arrange them by the most difficult times. And then I use my calendar to be able to actually break down my to-do list. So I equate the amount of time that I think a particular task will take, put it directly into my calendar and then, um, work it out like that. And for Vaishali, we generally interact through Asana and through Slack and through Basecamp. Okay. So yep. every single week, she sends a report saying how many people she had contacted for podcasts, as an example, how many people were interested and how many bookings we got, and then how many bookings went live. Um, those are the metrics that she needs to be able to equate for. And then she has a quarterly targets of, uh, I think her quarterly target was 400 podcasts and we're at 383 so she's absolutely on target um she's kicking it yeah good job numbers yeah 
in combination um, with me, obviously I'm okay. I'm part, I have a joint, like it's our joint rock together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that her main thing is the, the PR for the podcast specifically? Uh, she's in charge of all PR. So she does everything connected to that. Nice. Uh, so going back to the book a little bit, do you want to talk about what that book is? Um, how is it different from the other books? Well, you know, the term asynchronous work and asynchronous management, I'm looking around for the, the other books. There's so many books that are coming out on remote work and I've read almost all of them. There's mm-hmm. actually 27 <laughs> that oh, wow. are coming out this quarter oh, wow. on remote work and none of them are about asynchronous management or asynchronous really? work. Yeah. And, and I found this to be such an interesting phenomenon because it is the only thing that the remote pioneers talk about and did in order to become successful remote companies. So remote work is more about asynchronous work than it is actually about working from home or working from a co-working space or wherever you may want to work from. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to be able to require no immediacy on any task inside of your work. So inside of asynchronous organizations, um, and it really does make sense when you think about where in office environments kind of evolved versus remote first companies evolved. Mm-hmm. Remote first companies that were popping up 20 years ago, we didn't have Slack or Zoom or any of those types of things. We kind of had Skype, but it didn't work super well. Um, Still doesn't. It would break, <laughs> yeah, it, it would break about 80% of the time. So mm-hmm. we recognized we needed to build a methodology to manage people without actually interacting with them synchronously. And when you have an office environment, there's a sunk cost connected to working together. So everyone has to pay that 90 minutes to commute into one singular place. And when you're in that singular place, you think, oh, it should be a collaboration buffet. We should be collaborating as much as humanly possible, communicating synchronously as much as humanly possible. Remote first companies recognize that they pay that cost every single time they meet synchronously. So they've developed an a la carte method towards synchronous collaboration. And they've realized, well, what's the minimum dose? What's the minimum amount of time that I need to spend communicating with these people synchronously in order to be able to have the information exchange I need to succeed um, in the tasks that are set in front of me? So we had a, and a lot of remote companies have this as well, the uh, walk out of a meeting rule. So number one, we try to make sure that we have silent meetings. So every single week, I have a standing meeting with my executive team. If, and we write down issues about everything that we want to talk about. And we debate those issues asynchronously. So we'll have like 40 or 50 comments on a particular issue ticket. And then if we come to a conclusion, we put the conclusion at the top of the ticket and we clear that ticket. If there's less than three issues for a meeting, we don't do the meeting. Uh, And we do maybe a meeting once a month on average. And the vast majority of those issues are actually not technical, they're almost entirely emotional. Um, they're, and, and that's actually the reality of management is management is not about what are your numbers. In asynchronous teams, those are all measured automatically. So the ability to be able to document all of these things and have the platform be the manager effectively is much more effective than the actual manager being the manager. Uh, and then we reserve all of that time for EQ issues. Like, hey, my dog died last week and I'm really stressed out, you know, and I'm really depressed about it. 
uh, and I'm not as productive as I was last week. How can I, you know, how can, how can you help me um, move forward from that type of problem? Those are the issues that are actually important. And the ones that are below the surface of all of the BS ones that you usually consume when you're in a executive meeting, as an example. Right. Uh, So I would like to hear you define the remote first versus home office versus work from anywhere versus, I don't know, digital nomad. Like there's so many different terms that are thrown out these days. Yeah. Uh, When you say remote first, what do you mean? You choose remote first, meaning you are trying to, you're telling everyone, I would rather hire you remotely. However, if you don't actually want to be hired remotely, if you want to work inside of an office and we think it might be the right fit, absolutely, uh, we'll let that happen. So it's really about just the freedom and flexibility to be able to work the way that you want. The vast majority of companies that are remote first don't have offices because no one actually wants to work in an office, Um, particularly if you're all alone. um, That gets pretty weird uh, pretty quickly. Yep. I actually did do that once, um, which is funny. I, I had an office for maybe like three years. We thought that salespeople would do better in an office and it ended up not being true really, um, because they didn't actually want to come into the office. So we set up the whole thing and none of them came in Oh my gosh. and then I shut it down because like, <laughs> why am why? I paying for this, <laughs> this cost? Mm-hmm. And I would come in alone every single day and sit there and, um, and work from, from an office. I do like co-working spaces though. I think for people that are slightly on the extroverted side of the spectrum, yeah. um, having that interaction effect is really valuable. Mm-hmm. And particularly for people that are extroverted that are kind of going stir crazy inside of their home offices, a co-working space is a fantastic solution to that, which is something that we just didn't have with COVID. Right. But as we're moving from pandemic to endemic, I think you're going to see a lot more co-working spaces pop up. And I think it's like, going to actually back. be a fantastic. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be like a renaissance of co-working spaces. So I have interviewed quite a few people that that was their, you know, that was their office. They worked from a co-working space. And then with the pandemic, they had to go home. And then a lot of them just didn't want to go back. But because um, they learned that they can have like social ad- interaction in other ways. Uh but I know that some bridges got burned during that because some of the co-working places wanted them to continue paying their, you know, I don't know how you say it, their membership or rent or something like right. that for that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed a guy and I cannot think of his last name off the top of my head, but it was Ibrahim and he's from, um, I think Dubai, United right. Arab Emirates. And he said that they were required by law to have an office. Uh, to have a business like they had to and so everyone basically paid for a chair and a desk somewhere he's like I've never I've never seen the space Um, I think he'd been paying for it for two years and so there's probably just office buildings filled with empty tables and chairs somewhere um, just so that you know by law they were required to have an office space Um, how do you guys handle it for things like mail Um, I interviewed a guy named Matthew Silverfield he worked with um, I think he's left that company now so um uh but basically saying like you know every once in a while you have to have things physically mailed to you and you know it was getting mailed to some closet in you know some mall somewhere that's just a a physical address and then someone has to go you know collect it or whatever um finally they just mailed it to his house right so we do have an office in las vegas nevada uh it's the size of a closet Mm -hmm. and 
just mail goes in there. Um, funny story, actually, for the Running Remote Conference that we're running May 17th and 18th in Montreal, Canada, one of the uh, venues that we wanted to book from, they started doing due diligence on us because it was a significant cost, uh, right? It's hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to rent out this venue. Mm -hmm. And they were really scared because they recognized that our office wasn't actually an office. It was just basically a PO box. Uh-huh. And they were like, who are you guys? Like, I don't want to, you know, we're feeling very uncomfortable about this right? transaction. Well, good <clears> for <throat> them for doing that due well, diligence. And I, and I came back to them and I said, you know, the conference is called Running Remote, right? Like it's about remote work. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have team members in 43 different countries all over the world, but we don't have any offices. We are mm -hmm. a remote company. Mm -hmm. So even today, we're actually still experiencing that. And 12 years ago, um, when we started some of these companies, uh, particularly in the tech space, you couldn't get a, um, a credit card transaction account, right? You couldn't get a merchant account without actually having a physical address. So it was one of those things that you just had to overcome. Hence the LA um, or the Las Vegas address? Exactly. Yes. So, but then my business partner is from Sydney, Australia, and I'm from Montreal, Canada. So you had two foreigners running a U.S. corporation that effectively owns a closet in Las Vegas that we've never been to, it seems pretty sketchy, right? So, but that's just what <laughs> you had to overcome in order to actually fit inside of that, that peg. Um, but one of the first companies that I studied for the book, is a company called Coinbase, and they're a cryptocurrency wallet. They IPO'd at 141 billion, but a year ago, year and a half ago, they entered number 89 on the S&P 500. So very serious company, right? No companies, when they IPO, directly enter the S&P 500. And for the first time in the history of the SEC, they were able to state that their headquarters was nowhere. And they said, anything else would have been a lie, right? So that's just us starting to recognize that companies like GitLab and Coinbase and Shopify, they are entirely remote. They don't have offices. They don't need offices. And you know, if you owned, um, if your portfolio was just GitLab, Shopify, and Coinbase, you'd be a very rich person. Yeah. Um, those are probably one. Those are probably three of the top ten fastest growing companies over the last five years. Mm -hmm. So we're also seeing that remote first companies are not just remote because it's good for employees. It's actually much better for the bottom line. And I think that we're seeing a horse and buggy versus a model T moment in okay. terms of just the, the operations that connect to remote work are more capital efficient. You can extract more value from remote first organizations than you can from in-office organizations because the second largest cost on a P&L is your offices outside your of your people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's one of those things that drags you down um, and remote first companies. We now know how to do it. We've built the playbook to make it happen very easily. You can now scale these companies very quickly and easily. Unlike anything that you could do if you were actually in a physical office. I want to hear more about this place in Las Vegas. <laughs> have you, have you ever set eyes on it before? Yeah. I looked in it once it's, it's crappy. Is it literally um, like, is it actually a closet or is it like a uh, empty storefront? 
It's like a, no, it's like, it's, it's in a big, um, it's in uh, old Vegas. It's in a, um, it's in like a big, huge kind of office building. And it's probably the size of what I'm in right now, which is my walk-in closet. So me too. <laughs> yeah. You could have like, um, probably one desk at it if you really wanted to. We don't have anything in there. It's just empty. Yeah. But does it actually collect mail or is there literally a PO box somewhere forwarding Uh, mail to you? There is. So we digitize the mail. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think the service that we have inside of this building, um, they will digitize all of that mail on our behalf and then just forward it on. Yeah. I I honestly um, don't know. It's kind of like our operations people handle it, but um, it's, it's definitely a weird thing and we keep it in place just because it would be more of a bother to be able to change all the corporate headquarters documentation oh, in right. all of our corporations. Yeah. So we just mm-hmm. keep it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was just the cost that we had to pay, unfortunately, to appear legit in the early days of remote work. You just mentioned your closet and I'm looking at it and it looks like you have a window and I do not. I'm a little jealous. Yes, that is. I do have a window and, um, Actually, this is uh, my, this is behind here is my wife's walk-in closet. So we kind of have them connected to each other, mm-hmm. um, but it's currently a uh, crib for my okay. daughter. Yep. So it's, you know, it's, uh, that's the reality of working from home, right? It's just like, uh, I'm, I'm fine working here. I do work from coffee shops and co-working spaces quite often as well. I enjoy those, but for me, I mean, this is all that I need. I've got a permanent camera set up in front of me. I've got, you know, computer monitors and all that kind of stuff around me. So I'm pretty happy here. And uh, even if I had an offer to be able to go to a really cool office somewhere, I probably wouldn't take it. My life's a lot easier. Right after this, I'm going to go for a walk with my my wife and daughter, which is nice. uh, much more fun than yeah. having to commute 50, even 15 minutes back and forth. True. Um, now with the office that you have in your in your home, um, where do you put your clothes? If you have a crib in her wardrobe and you have an office in yours, are you um, ready and- to get super weird? Cause I can tell you the, the reality is that, uh, I have the same t-shirt. So it's, it's this gray t-shirt. I have about 40 of these that are here uh-huh. and I have the same Matt and Bo, uh, jeans. Um, and I have the same socks and everything. And, I have that in one drawer that I have it in my bedroom. Uh-huh. And then I also have those at about four or five other locations that I travel to quite a bit. Are you saying I don't that you like wear going literally go the same clothes every day? Yes. Yeah, I do oh. have like a couple suits, but uh-huh. you know, uh, my, my life is, um, I feel that removes a major decision from my day. Oh yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard about the, the argument that the de- if you make a decision, regardless of the importance of that decision, it consumes the amount of decision-making energy that you have in your brain every single day. So if you just remove a lot of those decisions throughout your day, you have more energy to make decisions that are higher leverage. So meals, as an example, get delivered here for lunch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. every day. Um, I drink the same thing every morning. I think mm-hmm. getting into a routine and letting all of those decisions kind of sit in the background mm-hmm. allow for me to make much more important decisions in so my life or higher leverage decisions effectively. Nice. It's like the capsule of capsule wardrobes. 
capsule of capsule wardrobes. It's uh, like I, a capsule wardrobe is like usually like only about 30 items um, oh, okay. where you can just like mix and match and, you know, everything kind of goes together. Um, yeah. So you, I've got one of those in Miami and one of those in Sydney and one of those in Bali and in yeah. Barcelona and in Turks and Caicos. And when you and, travel, you just travel light. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm going to one of those locations, I don't need to take any clothes with me, nice. which is great. Yeah. Wow. Um, I feel like that when I shop at Aldi or like Trader Joe's, it's smaller compared to like a really big supermarket, like, you know, even Walmart or, you mm-hmm. know, cause there's just like, I, I need ranch dressing. I don't need to choose mm-hmm. between 40 ranch dressings. I just need ranch dressing. And I like that. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, this t-shirt is a, um, it's a Calvin Klein t-shirt. And if you actually go to their, this is kind of embarrassing, but if you go to their, their, if you just purchase them wholesale, uh, you can purchase them for like $4 per unit. Oh, nice. So I just buy a bunch of them every year that actually automatically get purchased and then delivered to those locations. Um, I might need to look into that because my husband wears a black t-shirt every day. Does yours have a pocket? Cause he, he would live literally every day of the year. In yeah. A, this one doesn't have a pocket, but I'm sure you could probably, I mean, get a t-shirt that's right for you that you're really happy with. The and then out of it. Say, okay, well let's just set it on a recurring purchase. Yeah. Um, and same thing for shoes for me. Uh, I have flip-flops in all of those different locations as well, which is the mm-hmm. same type of flip-flop. Uh, and it just makes my life a lot easier uh, when I don't have to make any type of dressing decisions. My daughter, who's you saw earlier on in the podcast, um, she's got so many different outfits and, you know, it's a challenge in the morning. So we usually just show her two outfits and say, Uh do you want this one or that one? Uh Um, but if she chose her own outfit, we'd be there for an hour. Mm -hmm. She just really loves to go go through everything. Just wait till she's about four or five and she starts to care. Right. (laughs) yeah that's actually kind of a Montessori technique the just give two decisions and like they still have you know autonomy but not too much yeah it's called a um, Hobson's choice so there's a or b but don't consider don't present them c yeah and actually it's a really interesting identifier of intelligence and particularly Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship if people say I don't want a or b I want x Mm mm-hmm because that shows that they have lateral thinking as opposed to kind of categorical thinking. Right. And um, it is one of the, uh, my daughter currently does not have the lateral thinking yet. Hopefully she just develops you it wait. over the next couple of years. <laughs> my daughter wanted to wear um, uh, an animal costume every day of the year. Um, she was a tiger and a cat for a few years. She was a bee for a while. Um, and I was nervous. I actually sent her to a uniform school for kindergarten so that she didn't oh, wow. have so many choices. Um, tell me a little bit more about your, your personal work from home habits. Uh, how do you schedule your day? And I feel like I just have to, this is my burning question. Are you monitoring yourself with your own like time tracking uh, software? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. So inside of the company, we have a concept that we refer to as radical transparency. So Mm -hmm. everyone gets to see everyone else's data. Okay. Uh, I'm currently doing, you know, meeting with April under the podcast task and all of that gets conglomerated. And then we actually calculate the return on investment for my time. Okay. And we're always trying to analyze that because at the end of the day, 
are you actually, again, doing work? Or are you doing things around work? Are you staying busy or are you getting things done? Those are really like, there's a lot of these like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm working so hard and I'm hustling. I love this, this term hustle porn, right? It's like, oh, we're gonna, we're working so hard on this and we're, we're gonna put in that 16 hour day and all that kind of stuff. You know what? Most entrepreneurs anyways, the successful ones, they have oodles of free time because they, they've set up the systems and processes in place to be able to make sure that they're working on the business and not in it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that hustle-nomics um, that you see that, oh, I'm working really hard. Are you, are you, are you working or are you doing things to stay busy? Uh, and it's a very, very frustrating subject for me because I think a lot of people are right now staying busy as opposed to actually doing work. What's your take on like networking opportunities? You know, like right now you were networking because you were podcasting, but you were recording that podcast. And so then it's also publicity for yourself. It's mm -hmm. marketing, right? Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about your take on networking? Uh, well, I, because I run a conference, uh, I do think that it's valuable. I think that you have to have the right dose. And this would probably be something that maybe um, Igor, who's the CEO of Running Remote, wouldn't necessarily want me to admit. But at any conference, when you're doing networking, effectively, if you go to any of the talks, you're not doing the right thing. Uh, I think this is a really fantastic opportunity to interact with people. Every single breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you should be eating with someone new that you haven't interacted with before, creating those, those connections and really seeing <clears throat> what you could provide to them as value and then also what they could provide to you back as value. Mm -hmm. um, so you and, don't and go to the, you don't go to the talks? No, no, because it, there's no point. Uh, I could get the recording later and okay. watch it at 2x speed. Right. right? Okay. That's, yep. So when I think, when I think about like ACE, this absolutely boils back to asynchronous management. Mm -hmm. Um. We never, ever have a show and tell meeting inside of asynchronous companies. So a show and tell meeting is, well, I would like to show you all the metrics that we have put together, or we're thinking about building this new product feature, and we're going to bring, go through the pros and cons of that product feature. And, you know, that's a 45 minute meeting. And then the last five minutes are, should we do A or B? It's not the way to do a meeting get everyone to consume the show and tell presentation, record the video, Prior. send it to everybody, get them to consume it at their own time at 2X speed. They're all up to date. And then we could all come to that meeting saying, everyone's consumed that information. We're now ready to actually address the issue. And we can spend 45 minutes on the actual important issue as opposed to spending five minutes on it and falling asleep from a 45 minute presentation. Nice, okay, got it. So presentations, don't look at them, um, including talks. Take that time, meet with people. You know, even at our conference, if you're like, that's why actually at the conference, I think we have the most uh, couches per capita of any conference I've ever seen, because what we really want people to do is to be able to interact in those meetings, or sorry, jump on those couches, talk to each other, interact and create those possible partnerships or, you know, 
kind of mutually beneficial relationships that really take your business to the next level. Do you just like hit up a lazy boy warehouse and be like, bring it on in? No, we actually, so another thing about our conference is, um, and we can get into this too. I'm really big on defining a mission for every single business that we run. So it shouldn't be a business. It should actually be a mission. And the mission is, and the business is to solve the problem that the mission is presenting. So for running remote, it's to help facilitate the world's transition towards remote work. Mm -hmm. And inside of that, we recognize that the majority of the remote first founders that come to the conference are very unique individuals. They usually are very cosmopolitan. They've been to a lot of different countries and locations. And we realized that we should always have a one-of-one venue. So if you're sitting inside of our conference venue and you can't tell the difference between this conference venue and 5,000 others, then we failed in terms of what we're doing. So the actual venue that we have is a place called New City Gas in Montreal. It's one of the oldest buildings in Montreal and it actually is a massive nightclub usually. And with that, they have a whole bunch of, um, of couches. And so they're just providing it to us for free, which is really, really cool and very different from everything else. The first year of running remote, we did it in a um, five-story high bamboo teepee, which was a trip. Uh, It was a really, really cool venue. And then the second one we did in a place called Green Village, which was a network of villas that are made out of um, live bamboo. So they grow. Uh, And some of these places are like five, six stories high and they sway in the wind. That's architecture that you can't get anywhere else. It's effectively almost like um, Lord of the Rings. Where, where is that one? uh, That's in Ubud, Bali. Okay. That was your Bali beach. Yes. It is is actually the, I mean, it is a world-class place to be. Um, We, we negotiate these relationships years beforehand where other conferences cannot get access to those types of venues but because we have connections and we negotiate these unique places that no one else can access anywhere else on planet earth it provides the venue as effectively a character inside of the conference which we think it definitely costs us a lot more money but people expect that when they come yeah. to a running remote conference. So are you really um, targeting the the founders, the the CEOs and everything of these businesses and not so much like <clears throat> the, the employees or the worker bees? Um, yeah, so I think the employees would not, would not get any value from it because um, it's really focusing on the founders, the owners and operators of companies that are excited about building real scale inside of their organizations. So if you're a, you know, if you're the, if you're the head of remote at Shopify, as an example, you're really excited about coming who I know is someone that's coming. Um, If you are, um, if you're a remote company that's failed, or sorry, if you're an uh, office company that failed at remote, but you're actually really trying to figure out why you failed, this is definitely the conference for you to be able to learn where you went wrong and possibly take another kick at the can. So those are the types of people that should definitely attend the conference. When I'm talking to you, I don't get this vibe. Okay. When I, 
when I think about the, the productivity tracking, you know, tools that you've, mm-hmm. you know, designed or created um, for your company and that you've employed, you know, lots and lots of people to, to use. Um, I always feel like they are, you know, they need to watch and track every movement. And that always feels very micromanagey, which makes people rebel. Um, it mm-hmm. makes people not want to work for that kind of company, but I don't get that vibe from you. I feel like you're- I think it is if like- it's one-sided. Okay. So I think the critical part that the vast majority of those companies are missing and what we encourage them to do mm-hmm. is implement radical transparency. You're the boss. Well, do you want all your employees to be able to use the tech, but not you? Why not you? What do you have to hide? Yeah. So can your employees see your productivity? Yes, they can see everything I do. Yeah. Um, everyone inside of the company can see what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. Everyone has access to the PL inside of the company. They know how much money we're making. They know how much profit we're making. Mm-hmm. Um, they know everything but the salaries of employees. Okay. Yeah. So when you join the company, we show you everything. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the biggest reasons why we have a, a 73 uh, employee net promoter score in the company, which is the average is about 32. And AMPS is between <clears throat> one and a hundred, but most companies get it in the 30 range. We're 73. And the biggest reason why is, well, they're just completely open with us. Um, and it also creates another added advantage, which is when there's bad things that need to be done, when there's difficult decisions that need to be made inside of the company, almost everyone realizes that it was the decision that had to be made because they have the same informational advantage as the CEO. Interesting. It's a very difficult chasm to cross, particularly for controlling founders and CEOs of companies that are just like, I don't want to provide this type of information to my employees because they might quit. Mm. But the reality is that actually it produces the reverse effect, that, that system of autonomy and trust on both sides, by the way, is really mm-hmm. important towards long-term success of the organization. And I would say for me, <clears throat> when you think about implementing this type of technology, number one, this is an inevitability. Uh, about 80% of the industry right now uses some level of this technology in order to be able to look at me- measuring actual productivity. Oh yeah, when but I worked more- for Mayo Clinic, it was they, <clears throat> they knew everything I was doing. Right, exactly. But then more importantly than that, Um, I think my vision of the future on this is there will be an AI assistant for everything. So there'll be an AI assistant for work. There'll be an AI assistant for, you know, your relationships, your home life, your health, your exercise, and you'll be able to actually speak to those, to that AI. And I think probably at the end of the day, they'll all merge into one single system and say, yes, you know what? April, today, you've got, you're not feeling good because of this specific issue. Because three months ago, you had a conflict with your husband and you haven't let it go. And it's been eating at you. And we're seeing the cortisol levels that are inside of your body since that exchange that you had. And what I would suggest that you do is go to betterhelp.com, talk to a therapist, you and your husband, so you can work it out. Nice. Right. You're not, you're not consciously aware of that, but AIs know that instantaneously because they're able to see all those data points. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is a vision of the future that I think is inevitable. 
um, to be completely honest. You, you think you. about like, oh, I have an Apple phone and I recently got an Apple watch and then I promptly mm -hmm. lost it. Um, <laughs> I just admitted that. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, in the three days that I had it, um, I think it was actually stolen. Um, mm -hmm. It, you know, it, you, you do track your, your sleep, your, your, um, your standing, your, your, what is it? Exercise and, you know, some, your heart rate. And it does mm -hmm. like, and then like on my phone, I also have like the, you know, screen time trackers mm -hmm. and like your product, you know, your, not your productivity, but your screen usage is up. And yep. yeah, so I guess we already are, <laughs> you know, letting um, AI kind of guide us and it's supposed to be motivational, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and they're also not, so they're not giving you the insight directly. Um, the thing that Apple and Facebook and Google and all these companies are doing is they're keeping those insights for themselves to sell you ads. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm saying inevitably that will come out yeah. and like they know the exact hour that you should be buying that product that you've had your eyes on. Mm. They know exactly when to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, when you look at artificial intelligence and the state that it's in today, <clears throat> I can tell you um, with about a 97% success rate, 3% false positive rate, whether you're going to quit your job six months before you do. Oh, wow. From your just, data? just using our tech. Yeah. So we analyze about 23,000 different variables and we can tell you, Hey, you're going to quit your job. Um, and more specifically, we have a lower success rate on this, but we're going to, we know that you're going to quit your job and we know the cause of why you're going to quit your job, which is your manager. So what's the best solution for this problem? Is it, and also is this savable? is another really open question. Um, <clears throat> but what you could do is you could say, okay, pragmatically, let's talk to you and see if we could get you working with another manager. If you're a really good employee, or maybe let's, um, maybe let's fire that manager as an example, if that manager is not very good at his or her job. Those are the things that you can do with artificial intelligence that, um, you know, that you just couldn't do beforehand. Right. And, and it's the value that that has towards work towards health, wellness, everything is insurmountable. The issue is that we've just used it today for selling ads <laughs> mostly. Yeah. And that's just, you know, it's not a really good application of, um, I, I think that we could use this in much more positive ways. Yeah. For good. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a piece that I was reading yesterday on the economist about, um, the algorithms towards, um, young girls who have problems eating disorders and showing that the eating disorder algorithm was making about $270 million a year for Facebook. What? So just like an 11 year old girl would constantly get these, these Instagram accounts that would pop up that they didn't really subscribe to, but the algorithm recognized, well, we're going to get a response if we send them this Facebook account, if we send, or sorry, if we send them this Instagram account, we send them this image, right? Like AIs are that specific and not many people recognize how good they are. A lot of people talk about how it's like, oh, I was just talking to Google about, you know, buying Windex. And then all of a sudden I get an ad on Windex. They're not connected, but there's so much metadata that's collected with that, that they know exactly when you need to buy Windex, oh. right? Um, they knew you were going to ask about Windex before you knew you were going to ask about Windex. And mm -hmm. that's, 
the interesting third part about artificial intelligence. And I think that this technology can just be redeployed for much better, better, um, better things than selling ads. Uh, before we wrap up, I have a few more questions. Is it possible for someone to use Time Doctor um, one-sided? Like we talked about, you prefer your companies not do, um, and you want them to have transparency. Can they can they go against your advice and just use it for the micromanaging thing? Absolutely. So it is a tool like anything else. Um, you can't hold a gun to someone's head and say, all right, well, the boss must use it as well. Yeah. And, and, then, and the other part of it too, by the way, is just <clears throat> empowering people to be able to work remotely. Um, if you look at, and you know, I don't want to get too technical on you, but HIPAA, PCI, or SOC 2 compliance, when you were working for the Mayo Clinic, you were under HIPAA compliance. Yeah. Which means you must have a technology like Time Doctor in place. You cannot work remotely without it. Okay. Yep. It is a, it is a job requirement. And so this at least I, <clears throat> the way that I look at this type of technology is, yeah, maybe the boss isn't using it, but there are 20,000 people that can work remotely now that just could not work remotely if they didn't have this piece of technology in place. That was why actually it took years for them to um, be able to allow people to work remotely. They kept this on site for years um, until they could work it out for the confidentiality, patient protected information stuff. Exactly. And I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what about people skirting the issue? Like, so I don't mind if someone's time tracking my work computer, but my personal computer, uh, you know, or what if I just pull out my phone and I'm wasting time all day long, but I have a mouse wiggler wiggly in my mouse to make it look like I'm, I mean, how, how smart is time doctor? Oh, well, I mean, those mouse wigglers don't work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, remember, I can tell you whether you're going to quit your job six months before you do. Uh -huh. <laughs> I can figure out the mouse wiggler. Um, yeah. You know, when you just wiggle a mouse back and forth, you, you, the AI knows what the hell's pretty, going on. Pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. I've yes. heard of these things, though. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've heard of them, too. Um, actually, it's funny enough. People send them to me. Here's one right here. What? So this one, like, uh, this is one of those mouse wigglers uh -huh. and it just spins uh -huh. and you put your mouse on top of it and it just kind of moves the mouse up and down and in kind of random directions. Um, I, I plugged it in and uh, it detected, it detected that it was a mouse mover within uh, 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, don't use that. I mean, let, let, just have a honest conversation with your boss. Mm -hmm. that's probably the way you should go uh, as opposed to wiggling your mouse uh, back and forth. Okay. I always like to ask, I have two questions I want to ask to wrap up. I like to ask you a question about what advice would you give someone who wants to work from home for the first time? And I also want to ask if you want to take any time to speak to supervisors, managers, CEOs about um, some of what you've learned <laughs> that might be useful, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So the first one, I think, Remote work has completely changed. So February of 2020, 4% of the US workforce was working remotely. By March, it was 45%. That's the biggest transition in work since the Industrial Revolution. But the Industrial Revolution took 80 years and we did that in March. The genie is effectively out of the bottle. And if you think that the office is going to be a place for you, like I talk to high school students from time to time, um, 
70% of that workforce is probably going to work remotely. And the other interesting statistic is 75% of people that make more than $100,000 a year work remotely. So there's also a divide between the rich and poor here. So the good jobs are going to be remote. Prepare yourself for that. Um, you know, interact with, with the interact with technology that's going to help facilitate that change in the world. You need to be able to figure out how to manage yourself remotely. How do you have your own autonomy? Uh, never ask a manager what you should do. Tell them what you did. Uh, we always have that as a really core tenant of everything that we do inside of the company. You should never ask us what to do. Tell us what you did, and then we'll tell you if you made the right decision or not. For employers and founders and CEOs of remote first companies um, recognize that, and even on-premise ones actually, recognize that remote work is no longer an employee perk, it's table stakes. And if you think that you can convince those people to go back to the office, um, you can probably convince some of them, but your A players, the 20% of your workforce that does 80% of the work inside of your company, those people can get other jobs, other places, and they will not work in that environment any longer. They'll go work for other people. And having a work environment where they can basically have the autonomy to do the type of work that they really wanna do is probably the most important thing that any business owner can learn in the next 18 months. Because I think that we're going to see, if you thought the great resignation was bad, I think we're going to see the great migration. I think mm -hmm. we're going to see people travel all over planet earth that are really top tier 1% workers. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that you really want in your company. And they are not going to work in an office anymore. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, Ibrahim, the gentleman from Dubai, he said that we're not going to say we work from home. We're just going to say in the future, we're just going to say we work. It's not, it's not, we're not going to have to qualify it anymore. It's just mm. work is work, you know, re regardless of where you are. Yeah, I actually, and I think that in the next 10 years, asynchronous work and asynchronous management will actually be a more important term than remote work. Okay. Because yeah. If you're in an office, you can still work asynchronously. You can yeah. still implement the strategies that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. it's, not, um, it's not an either or type of situation. And I think that when we see the magic that asynchronous management has really had on these companies that have grown so much faster than anyone else um, could have imagined, they all have at their core asynchronous management. And that's a very exciting thing for me. I almost feel like I've unlocked like this secret code mm -hmm. um, that I'm really excited about telling people about because it's not only it's not only a really advantage towards these, a big advantage towards companies, but more importantly, it's actually <clears throat> much more of a um, enjoyable experience for the employee as well. Um, you know, the very def asynchronous work cannot have micromanagement by definition <laughs> because there's no one managing you. Um, the platform manages you, not necessarily the individual. And that's a really exciting concept that I've done for the last 10 years. I really love working that way. And I hope that a lot of people can work that way too. I love it. It's, it's trust, it's autonomy, it's mm -hmm. empowering. Yep. Uh, I, I suppose it also probably works for people that have, you know, kids. Um, 
That's sure. one thing that a lot of women who want to re-enter the workforce after having a baby, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. well, I have to drop off my kid at preschool and pick them up. And then this is giving them, I'm still productive. I'm getting my work done, but it's that time freedom. Yeah. Work it, work somewhere else. Like you can, I, I'm, I'm blown away at people that just have like set hours. At least if you're not doing customer support or something like that, that you require a shift. I mean, pick up your kids. Um, yeah. I'm going to go play with my daughter after right. this call yeah. and probably for an hour. And then I'm going to go back and, and do my regular, um, go back to podcasts yeah. for the rest of the day. That's fine. I mean, you know, you do you, did, yeah. did you get your work done? Great. <laughs> yeah. My husband's been working from home for two years and he has been doing the, um, I drop off the kids in the morning and he picks them up in the afternoon. It's great. Cause it gives me, you know, I I've been doing another thing in the afternoons and it gives, um, a little more flexibility and they're making him go back to the office three days a week starting next week. So it doesn't, uh-huh. it doesn't even make sense because um, he doesn't need to, <laughs> but it's one well, of those things. And, and about 60% of the, the industry is going to a hybrid work environment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think that that is unfortunately just a fur- further evidence for asynchronous management, recognizing mm-hmm. that what the majority of pandemic panickers did was they simply turned working from home into living at work. They just recreated the office at home as opposed to recognizing that you needed to manage those people in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm calling asynchronous management. Uh, and it will work its way into, um, I mean, that's my mission <laughs> over the next two years is try to get that word out to as many people as possible is you need to actually, no one thinks about, well, we should actually manage these people differently when they work from home. Yeah, you should. It's really important. Right. You might retain the good ones. I want you to tell us where we can find you, uh, who you is. I don't know when your when your conference is happening. Did you say, is that something uh, it's that- It's May 17th and 18th in Montreal, Canada. Um, okay. But we do run the conference yearly. And then the book is coming out August 16th. Um, if you can't afford a ticket to- the conference or you can't afford the cost of the book i would also suggest people go to youtube.com slash running remote and we give all of our talks up there for free and so if you want to consume the information that we collect at running remote you can do it on the youtube channel absolutely for free that's fabulous and um, are people attending remotely during the conference as well yes you can attend remotely but i would say that as I had mentioned before, if you go to a conference, don't look at the talks. Yeah. <laughs> like conferences are about networking. Conferences are not about collecting information. You can, again, go to the YouTube channel and consume that information at mm-hmm. 2x speed. I think that the speakers are just an excuse to be able to get a whole bunch of people together and really talk about the future of remote work. And then will there be remote networking opportunities for those that can't attend in person there is uh we're on the hop-in platform so it has this really cool one where you can just kind of chat with people on a five ten minutes yeah yeah awesome okay and if someone wants to find you go to the other youtube channel anywhere else they should go youtube.com slash running remote i'm at liam remote on everything else um but youtube's probably the best spot and timedoctor.com timedoctor.com is too yep okay check that out 14 day free trial there Thank you so much, Liam. This has been really insightful. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm happy to be back to recording again. I had a little bit, bit of a break. And so it's good to get my feet wet again. So 
Thanks for having me. All right. Well, this has been Leah Martin and April Malone and Yes, I Work From Home, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. <laughs>